Let's listen to the first few words of this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, this prayer that Jesus teaches us as we continue the series on how to pray. It says in Matthew 6 and 9, This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. For the past two weeks of this series, we've looked at these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And these two verses, these two, these two phrases are so important because they really set up the context for the rest of the prayer. So if you've watched the past couple weeks, you've heard me talk about these phrases, but I want to reiterate a little bit because I think that these set up where we're going as we enter the rest of the prayer. Now you'll notice at the beginning of this, Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. And the reason that he says this is that this is a key for us. We should hear words like this and this should make us go, wait a second, okay, what's happening in the context of this passage? And if we backed up, we would see these verses where Jesus talks about how people would typically pray in that ancient world. And, it, and how he taught to pray was a radical departure from all of that and, and so different than the audience that Jesus uh, was around, the, the audience that he was, that was listening to him, how they understood prayer. Now, the reason for this is how they understood the gods. And many of the gods of the ancient world were mysterious. They were angry and they were distant and you never knew if they were listening. Now, I think it's critical for us when we hear this prayer to be reminded how easy it is to fall into that temptation to see God that way. That this is a human condition, a reality within us that, that makes us feel that God is mysterious, angry, distant, and we don't know if God is listening. So if you've ever felt that way about God, if you said, I don't know if God is listening to my prayers. I don't know, maybe God is angry at me. Maybe God feels distant from me. Maybe God is very mysterious and I can't understand who God is. If you've ever felt that way, that is a normal part of the human condition, how people have understood their gods. But Jesus says, listen, I want you to recognize and I want you to know that your heavenly father is different than that. And that's such a significant word that he uses, our father in heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is that here is a father, and he tells us right before this, that is a father who knows what we need before we even ask for it that he is already listening, that he is concerned with our needs. And then he gives us this phrase, hallowed be your name. And this points to the fact that not only is God listening, he's not just listening to you, but he is big enough to handle anything we face. I think this is so important to not get this backwards. Sometimes it's easy to flip these around and to think, okay, so God is big and powerful and strong and mysterious and angry and distant. And maybe perhaps he's listening to me. And said, so Jesus says, no, no, no. I want you to flip that because I want you to see the attributes of God that are so significant. God is love. God's primary attribute, the, the way that we can define God is with the word love. So God is love and is already listening is already knows the answer to what you need before you even ask because he cares about you and he's concerned about you. But, but, he is also big enough to handle anything that you face. So don't get those backwards. 
Don't think God is so strong and so mysterious and so powerful. Maybe he loves me enough. Instead, it's God loves you so much and is already listening and is big enough to handle anything you face. And then we find that this is what God wants in and through us for our world. Which is when we get to this, hallowed be your name, we're actually praying that we would hallow God's name. And that, that the, his, this prayer would be answered through our lives as we invite him to bring his goodness, to bring his majesty, to bring his beauty, and most importantly, to bring his love in and through our lives. So, how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, our God who loves us so much, who, who cares for us so much, who is big enough to handle anything I face. May I recognize and see that. And may I live out your beauty and your goodness and your love in this world. And so then may people see that and recognize and see your goodness and your glory through my life as I give my life to you. Now, I was telling you earlier about our youth group and our sixth through eighth graders, and they met last week, and we've been following this prayer in our study time with them during the youth group, and I wanted to read a couple things. These are a couple cards that they wrote, just a couple students, and these are the words that they used to redefine this prayer in their own words. So they're not, they're not making this up. They're taking, they're taking what we talked about with these words putting them in their own words and how they can understand it. And then I challenge them to be to pray these words daily. And I have to tell you, it was emotional. It was so powerful. And I can't stop thinking about that moment as those kids put these words in their own words and just how powerful of a lesson it is for all of us. Listen to this. God, I know you love me and want love in this world. So help me to love like you. Listen to this one. Father from heaven, your name is special. It brings peace and love and eliminates fear and sadness. I will be like you. Can I just, can I just read that to you one more time? I told you how important those kids are and how important it is to us invest in them. Can I read this again to you? And you just hear the hope that we find in our next generation about how they can see, how they see God and how they see their relationship with him playing out in this world. And if this is lived out, imagine the difference that they can make. Father from heaven, your name is special. It brings peace and love and eliminates fear and sadness. I will be like you. Now, I wanted to share those because I think that our students showed us how they understand that passage and how we should all see this prayer. And that's this. It's an invitation to see God's love, to respond to God's love, and to live out God's love in this world in and through our lives, which brings us now, I told you these two phrases set up everything else, brings us now to the next part of this prayer. So listen to these verses. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is 
in heaven. Now, one of the first things that we should do is we should immediately stop there. I was just actually just talking to my daughter about this, that when you read a passage, if something stands out to you, stop and explore it and see what it has to say. And the first word that really pops out to me when I read this is the last word we read, heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as soon as we hear the word heaven, we think of some place that we, and typically we think of some place we are going. But if we do that, we miss what the prayer is saying. The prayer is the desire for God's kingdom to be here, for God's will to be done here. See, many people have built everything they believe about God on getting out of here, out of this earth, out of this place. And it's like the focus becomes all the action is taking place somewhere else, but that's never what God intended And that's definitely not what Jesus taught. The action isn't taking place somewhere else. We're not trying to get out of here to go somewhere else. That's not what Jesus is saying in this prayer. He's saying, your will be done here. Your kingdom be here. The story we find in the scriptures isn't about people going up somewhere, but is the story of God coming down here. Let me rephrase, let me say that again because I want to make sure this is clear. The story of the scripture is not about, the plot is not about how we get out of here. Make that clear. The story is about God coming here. And this isn't in response to the way things are in our lives and in our world today, but the way that God intended things to be. He wanted to be fully present with us. Now, we find this metaphorically told in the story in the book of Genesis. Listen to this. In Genesis 3, an ancient writer says, tells us this story. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you not, must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, This isn't meant to be a literal story about talking snakes and poisoned apples. And I always want to make sure that that's clear for us. Because as we read the pages of scripture, we need to be reminded that there is allegory, there is story, there is poetry, there is history, there is gospel. There are all these different kinds of books that we find in the scripture in different ways that those are used. And what scholarship shows us here is that the book of Genesis, in particular these passages, um, are story that help us to understand something, typically in here written in poetic language. So the story of Adam and Eve is an allegorical account pointing us to realities about ourselves and about God. If we focus in on talking snakes and poison apples, we miss what the author is intending us to see. 
We can get lost in those details and miss what he's trying to show us. And the author is trying to show us this reality about God that God always intended to be present with us, walking with us. Listen how it goes on. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? I've always been fascinated by this question. It's incredible meaning that it has for us. When we are aimlessly walking, God is walking and always searching us out. But something has always driven us away. Our sin, our shame, the pursuit of our own desires drives us away from God. But do you see this? He will always seek you, always invite you home to his presence, always asking, where are you? you. Now, we move forward to the book of John, which the book of John is a gospel. It tells the story of Jesus, his life and his birth, his death, his resurrection. John is written in a very, very different way. In fact, it doesn't really talk about his birth, but it talks about his life in a very different way. Um, and, and what some scholars have seen is that it actually connects back to the Genesis story and begins to pull from that as it begins to tell the story of Jesus. So listen to this language in light of that and see this connection to God's desire to always be present with us, asking, where are you? It says in John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god sometimes when people say things like the word you hear them reference the bible but when we actually read in the bible the word the word it's typically talking about jesus and it's using this incredible greek language the word he says the word was god now let's continue he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made and in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it now we skip down to verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Then it says that Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Now with all of that in mind, listen, the focus for a lot of people is how do I get out of here? But when we see the trajectory of Scripture, when we begin to see the plot, and we begin to see it playing out as it is in Genesis, as it is in John, we see that the center of the teaching of Jesus, the message that we find over and over again in Scriptures, is that God was, is, desires to be fully present in our lives and because of his love through the power of the holy spirit god dwelling among us is not just story it is not poetry it is not the flourishy language of of the first chapter of john 
It wasn't a was. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, because of his love, God's dwelling among us is a continues to be because God lives in and through us. And we find this in 1 John, a letter written later on that we can read in our Bibles. 1 John chapter 4, listen to this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. So the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us, and now his dwelling is within us. He goes on, he says, he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. See, if your theology, the way that you view God in the world, is about getting out of here and going somewhere else, you have missed the most significant news that is the good news of Jesus's birth, life, death, and resurrection. It's not about getting out of here and going somewhere else. This evacuation theology, as I like to call it, in that evacuation theology, life becomes irrelevant. This beautiful world, and oftentimes the people who live in it, become expendable unless they serve our purposes in this evacuation theology. So this idea that I'm getting out of here, I'm going somewhere else, all of a sudden, why does any of this matter then? Why does this world matter? What's redeemable about this world? If I'm just trying to get out of here, and what about these people around me? They're just expendable if they don't serve my purposes. This is the danger of evacuation theology. But there's another danger represented at the other end of the spectrum if we're not careful. This danger is represented in politics by things like Christian nationalism, which is informed by what we call dominion theology. This dominion theology seeks to exert a form of Christianity upon others by force, based on a broken understanding of biblical law and a misinterpretation of the good news of Jesus. Listen again to Jesus' prayer. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the danger is an evacuation theology and dominion theology. They both, they both miss the point of the prayer of Jesus. Now, listen to this. In evacuation theology, theology, Jesus can't save the world because it isn't worth saving. So people get fixated on only getting to heaven. But then in dominion theology, Jesus is told to sit idly by as people who seek control try to force onto others, this is key, their version of Christianity, full of judgment, hatred, and power that looks nothing like the way of Jesus. And both of these theologies miss the mark. So the one danger is missing what Jesus says. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We don't want to evacuate out and miss that. But if we're not careful, your will becomes our will and we begin to exert on others our understanding of his kingdom rather than his understanding. Both of those theological uh, realities 
are broken and absolutely should be rebuked. Listen to one of the most famous Bible verses of all time. And I love coming to this over and over again because it's so formational to our theology, so formational to our discipleship, and helps us to understand your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven the way that Jesus intends us to understand that. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I've talked about this before, that eternal life here is not saying that he is granting you eternity in heaven. What he's saying here is that you shall not perish, but you shall experience the full goodness of God in this life. What is eternal may you experience in this life to its full. As one of the authors in scripture says, all that remains is love. All that remains there is love. And Jesus says, may you experience that to this full. May you be full of his love. For God did not send his son of the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I asked my daughter last night, and we had such great conversations as we're watching this race. And I said, I said, Emily, as we read that, because she was helping me get ready for church too. As we read that, what questions do you have? And she's like, I'm not sure. And I said, so when you read a passage like that, always ask a question. And the question I ask is, it says, but to save the world through him. The question I ask then is, save me for what? Save me to what? Save me from what? Save me to where? And see, sometimes we get so focused on these wrong theological understandings of this that we miss this and we think, I'm being saved to heaven. I'm being saved from here. Or my job is to save this world in the way that I see fit. And that's none of it. It says, but to save the world through him. I said, what do you think it means to be saved like that? And she said, well, sometimes I think we need to be saved from ourselves. And again, listen to our kids. They have absolute brilliance and understanding when they talk like that. And she understands God's kingdom is not found elsewhere. It's not forced into existence at the peril of others. God's kingdom, the rule, the reign of God is found in and through him as we follow Jesus into the way of God's love for this world, living out the eternal goodness of God. I, 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 that phrase, those words, I want you to hear this. God's kingdom is not found elsewhere. God's kingdom is not forced into existence at the peril of others. God's kingdom is found in and through our lives as we give our lives to him, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives in such a way that his love would overpower everything within us our shame and our sin, our sin, our guilt and our greed, that his love would pour out in such a way that we would accept and live within his love and that it would pour out onto this world. And then his will would be done in and through our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit in the way that he intends because we've set our eyes on Jesus and his way. 
Adam Hamilton in his book, The Lord's Prayer, said it this way, your kingdom come and your will be done is the central concern of Jesus's entire ministry. His teaching, his life, his death and resurrection focused on announcing God's kingdom, inviting people to be a part of it and encouraging people to not only pray, but to live in such a way that God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. So, the focus of Jesus' prayer is that we would fully embody God's will in this world and follow him into a life of sacrificial love, laying down our needs and desires, not condemning, but seeking his will for this world. Now, do you see? Do you see how when we begin to see it like that, how it defeats these spectrums of this broken theological understanding? That breaks that evacuation theology understanding because it reminds us that God is love and God loves this world. Don't get hyper-focused on ourselves and say, God loves only me. God loves only the church. No, God loves this world. God loves the, uh, the word is cosmic. He loves the entire creation. God loves this world and we should love this world. So his will be done is that, that, that we would love the way that he loves and extend that love into this world. This is what Jesus did. We also saw that Jesus lived sacrificially. And this is where we defeat that dominion theology understanding. Dominion theology is all based on power, control, deciding what, how I interpret and understand things is the law that I set down. And we set Jesus on a shelf. We put God's love on a shelf. And we exert, exalt above all other things, not God, not Jesus, not through the work of the Holy Spirit. We exalt above all other things our interpretive understandings and we push it on to others. Some way to believe that we are making the world the way God wants it when in fact what we do is make it into the way that we desire and want it. Instead, what we find through Jesus is sacrificial love that says, I lay down my wants, my desires, because above all those things is my love for every buddy else. As I said to somebody this week, I said, my job is not to build bigger walls. And you've heard me say this. My job is to build bigger tables. This person responded so disappointed. They responded and said, God's not building bigger tables. I could not believe that. I, I could not believe that. And then it makes it even more sad when the reality is that as a pastor who said those words. And I was angry and I was disappointed. That's not what I see here. I see that my job is to sacrificially lay down my life to bring love into this world, that God's love would work in and through me, through the power of his Holy Spirit. May my desires, may, may, my, may my interpretations, may my understandings go out the window. That at the end of the day, it is his love that pours out through me. That's what I see here. That we would lay down our lives seeking his will for this world. 
Remember, he's a heavenly father who loves. And this will for a world, and this is where I want us to close, his will for this world is a world we glimpse for in which we hope. Listen to this. We have some, we have some more practicality here to get to. Revelation 21, the author says this. Imagining the world as it is to become, the world as it is to be with his will. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling. Now, do you see what's happening here? We had God's dwelling, we had God's dwelling, and now we have God's dwelling. We had God's dwelling at the beginning of the story. We have God's dwelling at the middle of the story. We have God's dwelling at the end of the story that God is dwelling with us. And it says, I heard the loud voice saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. This is the hope of the Christian. This is the hope of the resurrection. And this is the hope that we bring to this world. That where there is death, there would be life. Where there is mourning, there would be joy. Where there is crying, there would be exuberance. Where there is pain, there would be none. Now that doesn't mean that those things don't exist in this world. That means that we meet those things exactly where they are, that we meet people in the midst of those realities, even when that is us in our, sense, in our community around us, that we carry each other's burdens and that we bring life and peace and joy and goodness and mercy and above all things, love into this entire world that we have the glimpse and the hope of the resurrection life and that we would bring that into our lives. See, Jesus' prayer is that we would experience a glimpse of what he, and listen to that, what he is making new and show others that reality in how we live. Jesus' prayer is in that we would sit idly by waiting to get there or that we would try to, uh, 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 try to obtain our own misunderstood version of his kingdom, but to bring his will and his kingdom into this world. And may we not only experience a glimpse of his hope, but partake in it as we give our lives to Jesus, trusting that he makes all things new. And may we pray his will would be done in and through us. And I love this because I want this practicality for all of us. May others bump into the kingdom in us. You see how different that looks? May others bump into the kingdom in us. I just think that's a significant way to understand this. I want to love Jesus in such a way. I want the Holy Spirit to work through my life in such a way that people bump into his kingdom as they come into contact with my life and with my family. May our lives be like that. May people get a little bit of a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven through how we live. That's so different 
That's so different than this angry forcing upon everybody. This is how, this is the God's kingdom. This is his way. Listen, just live life. And live life in the Holy Spirit. Because when you live like that, you live out God's love in this world. So may others bump into the kingdom in us, and may we join with others, and this is critical, may we join with others who seek his justice, his mercy, his goodness, his grace, his forgiveness, and his love in this world. I mean, this, this has become so true for me this week. I told you I had that interaction with someone who just was just so angry. And it's just, their whole ministry has just been anger. And I just think it's so ugly. And I just decided, you know what? I'm going to stand up for what I think is true. And that's it. My job is to build bigger tables, not build bigger walls. My job is to call people into this reality and say, hey, follow Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. Experience his life and his love living in and through you. And then here's what I'm ultimately going to do. I'm going to brush off that conversation, push that out of my life, and I'm going to join hands with people that I am so grateful for, the people in this church and in my life who care about grace and love and mercy and justice and peace in this world, in our communities. That's the kind of people that I want to be. That's the kind of people that I hear my daughter calling us to be. That, that's what I see when I read these, these, these messages that say, Father from heaven, your name is special. It brings peace and love and eliminates fear and sadness. I will be like you. And that's these kids getting this passage that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may I do that through my life as I give my life to you, as I receive the Holy Spirit, and as I live out the love of my heavenly Father. Imagine how different this world would look if we engaged with each other at a level that says, listen, I need to be holding the hands of those in my church community because I know these people are dedicated to grace and forgiveness, peace and mercy and above all, love. I know I need that and I know that I'm thankful that I have that here at the Southeast Project and I'm thankful that I have that love from my Heavenly Father and my prayer is that you would receive it receive his Holy Spirit, and reach your hands in fellowship to others. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for these words that call us and challenge us and convict us, that encourage us to follow you in a deeper path of love. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in and through our lives as we love like you. It is in your name that we pray today. Amen.